there had to be a supernatural, powerful deliverance to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's what this passage is telling us. We live in a sin-stained world. We ourselves are born in a state of besetting sin. It gets to the point that with all the rottenness we sense both outside and inside of ourselves, we find it almost impossible to rest in the assurance of our salvation through Jesus Christ. But as Pastor Don Green will remind you today on The Truth Pulpit, if God has truly called you, nothing can pry that salvation away from you. You will overcome the world because Jesus has. Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and as Don continues teaching God's people God's Word, he continues our series, So You Call Yourself a Christian, and today begins a message about conversion. Here's Don now to set the stage. Well, thanks, Bill. My friend, it is so important for you to know clearly how it is that you came to Christ and why you came to Christ. The Bible says that salvation is of the Lord. In other words, it comes from a work of God, not the will of man. If you get that one principle clear in your mind, it will redefine your approach to worship and solidify your sense of security in Christ. Let Scripture guide you as you listen today on The Truth Pulpit. Thanks, Don. And friend, let's get started right now from The Truth Pulpit. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 with me. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, where John says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know. You see that word there? We know. He wants you to know. He wants us to know. God wants you to know that your salvation is real. Look over at verse 13. I know I'm interrupting the reading of the passage right at the start, but you must see the great emphasis on this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This certainty, this assurance is the coming climax of this entire letter. It's what is intended to be the the result of this teaching that John has given us through the first four chapters. Chapter 5, verse 2 again. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Of God. It says right there in the passage that true Christians overcome the world. True Christians are victorious. True Christians win in the end. If you haven't been here through the whole course of the teaching, early on we said, and I repeated it from time to time, that John wrote this letter so that Christians could achieve spiritual victory in the midst of a hostile world. And we see as you go through this book over and over again that there are many spiritual threats to the well-being of a Christian. There's the threat of false teachers who come and and teach false doctrines and, and cloak it perhaps in Christian terms, but in the middle of the bait is a nasty hook that will pull you away from God. 
False teachers are a danger to our spiritual well-being. There's a danger of self-deception. There's a danger of loving the world that John addresses. And so over and over, he just systematically goes through and shows us the threats to our spiritual well-being so that we could recognize them and avoid them and therefore walk through this world in a victorious way as we go to our heavenly home. That's what I want to do, isn't it you? Don't you want to walk faithfully with Christ, to love Him, and to walk with an assurance that death could come at any moment and it would be well with your soul? What else could we compare in value to that spiritual assurance? Well, John's writing to help us in the entire letter, and as we come to this passage, we see that his emphasis there at the end, the Christian overcomes the world. It's victory. He's overcome the world. He's overcome the world. Three times he says it. And what you should see, and as a true believer, what should flame up hope in your heart and give motivation to persevere is this promise from God's Word that true Christians overcome the world. This passage gives us three certainties that lead to us to that assurance. It's not a blind promise that we make as we say that to you as a true Christian. We say on the authority of God's Word that you will overcome the world, that you will triumph spiritually in the end, no matter what the particular Uh, obstacles may be that you're facing right now. But what you must understand, in order to enter into the enjoyment of that assurance, in order to enter into the reality of that and have it shape and, and solidify the foundation upon which you stand, what you must do is understand why that is true. Why it must be that way that true Christians would necessarily overcome the world without exception. Why can we say that? Well, that brings us into the realm of Christian theology. It brings us into the realm of biblical truth. Why can we say that for sure? This passage gives us three reasons to understand that. And the first one that you're going to see as we look at these first five verses is that we can say with certainty that true Christians overcome the world because of, point number one, the source of their conversion. The source of their conversion. Where did your salvation come from? Where did this originate? If you understand this foundational principle, it will open up vistas of understanding. Whereas before you were just seeing trees, this reality about the source of your conversion will lift you up and help you see the forest and the surrounding landscape so that you can have confidence that this overcoming faith belongs to you and that it will most certainly never fail. It's because of the source of your conversion. And the source of your conversion, beloved, is God Himself. If you're a Christian, it's because God originated that and brought that to pass in your life. Look at verse 1 with me again. A Christian, we can say very simply, is someone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God's appointed Savior for mankind, and they've rested in Christ alone for their salvation. If you're a Christian today, you believe that. 
you agree with what I just said. You said amen, even if you didn't verbalize it. Even if you didn't pound the seat in front of you, you say, that's what I believe. Well, if you're here today like that, if that's the heart conviction that you listen to these words with, well, let me tell you where that conviction came from. It wasn't from your own wisdom. That conviction came from God himself. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That means that God gave birth to us as true Christians. God did the work of salvation in your life. He gave spiritual birth to you much in the same way as your biological mother gave birth to you. God gives birth to true Christians. He does a work in their hearts. He changes their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And then they come to Christ because it's what they want to do. We've said many times in chapter 4, verse 9, that we love. We didn't say this. The Apostle John did. That's an important distinction, isn't it? We love because he first loved us. God took the initiative to you. If you are here in Christ, it's because God originated that. God is the source of your salvation. It had to be that way, beloved, because you were just like me. You were just like me and every other sinner that's been born since the fall of Adam. You were born into sin. You were born with a nature that was disposed against God, that did not seek after God, that did not want God. Read Romans 3, 10 to 18 if you have any questions about that. And realize that Paul there is describing a universal condition of humanity. Well, how is it, beloved... How is it that you got out of those chains of darkness when Satan had blinded your eyes? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you were a hater of God, not seeking after him, not understanding, and Satan had blinded your eyes, how did you ever get out of that miserable condition? How is it that you could say when you were born like that by the scriptural testimony that every man is in that natural condition, how is it then that you now find yourself rejoicing at the fact that Jesus is the Christ and that you believe in Him? Don't you see that it wasn't from any powerful thing that you did? Don't you see that it wasn't you making a decision out of your own own wisdom and own power, there had to be a supernatural, powerful deliverance to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's what this passage is telling us. If we stand here today and you say from the depths of your heart, I believe that about Christ. I trust him. I belong to him. I love him. What this verse is saying is, is that spiritual condition in which you find yourself is a result, a product of the original work of God in your heart. It came from Him, not from you. Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the one who gives it. He dispenses it. He brings it about. He brings it to pass. That does a couple of things to us. It humbles us. Oh, does it humble us. You embrace what the Bible says and you realize that I have been the recipient of mercy to be in this blessed position. This is not a spiritual achievement that I did on my own. Salvation is by grace through faith, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. 
It is a gift of God, it says, with great emphasis there in Ephesians 2. Gift of God it is, is how that passage reads. And so, all of that to say that if you're a Christian here today, it's because God gave birth to you. The God who made the universe by His hands, who has sustained it from that moment of creation to the very present, the God who will one day bring all things to a great climax in Christ. That God is the God who gave birth to you. That God is the one who sent Christ to save you. That God is the one who offered His life in the person of His Son to pay the price for your sin. This was all something He did. It wasn't something we did for Him or to Him to provoke a reaction. He took the initiative with you. God alone acted in grace to bring about in your soul life where death had once prevailed. Now, this is all context. This is all the foundation. Remember the the, the tone, the theme of John's passage here is that true Christians overcome the world. This This isn't just theology in the abstract about the originating source of salvation, John is making this point, follow me, beloved. He's making an emphasis about the source of your conversion in order to produce a spiritual result in your heart. And he's, what he is doing is he's saying that the source of your conversion is from God himself. And because it comes from the omnipotent power of God, The one who started the work will perfect the work. He will keep the work. And because God is the source of your conversion, you can have confidence that His power will guarantee the final result that you will overcome the world in the end. You see, people who think that they participated in their own salvation, they can't live with that same level of confidence. If you think that you contributed to your salvation in some way, if you think it was your good decision, then you know what? The ultimate outcome of that for you is going to be is uncertainty about your salvation. That is necessarily going to happen because you find mixed in what you claim to be your faith an element of self-reliance. And you intrinsically know in your own conscience, whether you would admit it to man or not, you know in your own conscience that you cannot please God and you cannot keep God on your own. You cannot keep yourself in Christ on your own, I should say. And to the extent that you're relying on anything that you did as the proof or the the generating cause of your salvation, you are doomed to a lack of assurance because you're relying on the flimsy rod of man rather than the firm pillar of God. You're leaning on that which can only pierce you in the end. But for those of us that understand that our salvation came from God and we trust what He's revealed in His Word to tell us the truth about salvation, we rely not on ourselves but on what He's revealed, then when you understand the objective Reality, the objective truth of the fact that salvation came from God, then you understand that that means that you will have to overcome the world because God does not fail in His purposes. He intends for you to overcome the world. He saved you. 
and therefore he will keep you. And the outcome is secure. The outcome is confidence as a result of this. Don't you see it? Where you think your salvation comes from is inextricably linked to your assurance about the result, the ultimate result. And so when we say God is sovereign in salvation, we say it not only because that's what the Bible teaches, we say it because we understand that this has a pastoral impact on the way Christians live in the midst of a hostile world. This isn't the product of our hands, and therefore, because it's not from us, the result lies in the one who started it. The one who started it was God. He's omnipotent even over the devil, and he saved me now, and he's going to save me forever. I'm going to overcome the world in the end. Praise be to God. And you see, when that train starts to run on the tracks of your mind, whether you've got narrow-gauge track or broad-gauge track, I don't know, When that train starts to run on the track of your mind, there's an engine of assurance that's driving the reality of your life. Praise be to God. God is the source of our conversion, and therefore it has to come out perfectly in the end. That's the assurance and the grace in which we live. But how can you know that God has done that work in you? We see the source of conversion, but, but how can you know that that's real in your own life? Well, that brings us to our second point today. How can you know that you belong to Him? You look for the sign of conversion. You look for the sign of conversion. And I love this point as John expresses it here. If you're taking notes, let me just give you a very simple explanation of what that means. The sign of conversion is a transformed character that reflects the character of the God who gave spiritual birth to you. The sign of conversion is a transformed character that reflects the character of the God who gave spiritual birth to you. Now, we said that the outcome has to be certain if God is the source of our conversion. We talk about the outcome. Let's bring it back into the present, because that's what John does here. The sign of conversion is a transformed character that reflects the character of the God who gives spiritual birth. Now watch this. This really isn't complicated. This really isn't difficult. It's very clear and logical to follow. If God is the one who gave birth to you, then, just like your physical characteristics reflect those of your biological parents, so in the spiritual realm, your life will reflect the spiritual character of the one who gave birth to you. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If God gave birth to you, then somehow you're going to reflect the nature of God in your life. Somehow, in one way or another, not in perfection, but there are going to be family resemblances to God amongst His children, just as there are family resemblances in your circle of biological family. There is some manner of physical resemblance. Well, in the spiritual realm, it's the same way. 
a person whose life is arrayed against the, the desires and holiness of God has no claim on knowing his character no matter what kind of decision he claims he made in the past. But follow me here. Who is this God that gave spiritual birth? What is he like? You see, you can't get away from theology. You can't get away from theology, and if you're a Christian, you don't want to. Because theology, biblical theology, is what informs your life. It's what shapes reality. It's how you know the truth about the condition of your soul. Well, theology, the Bible, let's say, teaches us that God is holy, that God is love, and that God is true. God is a righteous God. He's a loving God, as shown at the cross of Calvary. He's a true God, as He has spoken in His Word. That's the nature of the moral character of God. He's not arbitrary. He's not a liar. He's not ungracious. He's holy, and He's loving, and He's true. Now watch this, beloved. Watch what this means for your life and for the condition of your soul. The one to whom God has given birth will reflect the character traits of God himself in his life or her life. I don't want to leave out the ladies here. If God gave birth to you, you're going to look like him in one manner or another. That's what this passage teaches. The sign of your conversion is a life that increasingly resembles the character of God. Has to be that way. If God is the source of conversion, and if God is holy, righteous, and true, then the one to whom he gives birth is going to reflect those character traits. Look at verse 1 with me again. And watch how this flows. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and... Here are the consequences that flow out of being born of God. There's a connector there, the word and. These two things are joined together, the source of conversion and the sign of conversion. What can we say, Apostle John? What can we say about this one who's been born of God? We can say this, based on the authority of the Scriptures. The one who's born of God... Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Notice the verbs here, beloved. Notice the verbs. Whoever believes... There's the attribute of God's truth being put on display. God has said this. God is true, and we believe His truth. You believe in response to that. There's truth in that, that animates your character. That there's truth that animates your convictions. This is not a matter of, of passing interest. No, these are convictions that you believe that are the rock of your soul and that you would not let go of no matter what. You believe these things from the depths of your heart. Because God is true. 
and you get animated about it in one degree or another because you as a Christian share the life of God who gave birth to you. He's a true God and you get animated over the things of His truth. A love for truth marks a true Christian. Notice the verbs. Believes, chapter 5, verse 1. Verse 2, love. By this we know we love the children of God. There's belief, there's love, and at the end of verse 2, observe His commandments. There is obedience that reflects the righteousness of God. Today on The Truth Pulpit, Pastor Don Green emphasized that since your conversion is only a work of God, not of yourself, you can't fail to overcome the world because He can't and won't fail. Well, that should be a source of great comfort and assurance. Pastor Don Green will have the conclusion to both this message and our series next time. Plan now to be with us. But right now, Don's back here in studio with some closing thoughts. You know, it's such a wonderful thing to be a true Christian. My friend, do you know Christ? Are the great blessings we talked about today yours? If not, I invite you to Christ. He loves sinners and receives people just like you who come to Him in repentance and faith. You can have new life from above if you turn to Christ. Don't delay another day. Come to the Lord Jesus and be saved. Thanks, Don. And friend, don't forget to visit thetruthpulpit.com to learn more about this ministry and the many resources available to you. That's thetruthpulpit.com. I'm Bill Wright. Join us next time as Don Green continues to teach God's people God's Word on The Truth Pulpit. The Truth Pulpit.